It's about uh, 10 or 11 years ago now that um, my son Dylan um, was having some medical issues. They were odd medical issues where his primary physician was struggling to figure out what exactly was going on. He, he talked about how he hurt in here. And uh, if, if you've ever had any kind of stomach things, there's a lot going on in here. In this section of the human body, there's a lot of systems going on. And so the doctor didn't know what it was. We didn't really know what it was. And through a several year process, we finally ended up having to go to a specialist. And turns out that Dylan in his mid-teens uh, was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. And some of you might be familiar with Crohn's disease. It, uh, it's something where it's an autoimmune sort of situation and the body kind of beats up on itself a little bit unnecessarily. And I know there's several different kinds of autoimmune, but he, he got that. And, and uh, boy, we were, we were devastated. We really, we really were. Dylan was a baseball player and um, really affected his ability to put on weight. And he was always kind of dealing with pain. Uh, I mean, thank God for great medicine and great advances in technology that there was a, a, a treatment for, for Crohn's disease. And, and I'm, we're very blessed that that was, uh, you know, an option that we had. And I can say now, looking back, he's doing well. He and Kinsey are thriving in Nevada. I don't know why they want to live on the surface of the sun, but that's another issue. <laughs> but they're thriving, and he's, he's in remission from the Crohn's. And he's had to learn some things about what you, what you can eat and, and, and stress, all of those things. But we're very thankful that, that he's, he's thriving and doing well. But I've got to tell you, I, I, I more than once shed tears by myself. Because I mean, he's 15 years old, and uh, if you are a parent or a grandparent in here, I'm not trying to make, make this heavy, but man, I want to do anything possible to remove that disease from him. I, I got on my knees before God, tears in my eyes, and I, I was saying, God, I want to take that disease from him, and don't put it on me. I'll take it. That wasn't, that wasn't the plan. But I got to tell you, you know, I wanted that disease gone. It's, it's like uh, I've never felt those sorts of strong feelings until I became a parent. And some of you are parents and grandparents, and you know that feeling very well. You would do anything in your power to protect them. And if there was something, you would do anything you could, whatever it takes to get that pain from. When you love someone who is hurting, that hurts. And, uh, and I don't know, maybe, maybe you're going through some of that right now. And, um, you know, and if you are someone who's, who's hurting, uh, you need something from the Lord. It's a beautiful thing to have a parent or an advocate who wants to help you. But if, but if you've ever felt that need, something that you need from God, uh, it's, it's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. Well, Pastor Ben, I'm, I'm glad you're here with us today. And we're going to lean into that heart of a father, heart of a parent, as we get into the last bit of Matthew chapter 15. So if you have a, a Bible or a device, start finding Matthew 15. See, God understands this heart 
of a parent, the heart of a father, the heart of a mother. God understands wanting to do whatever it takes to not only be in a relationship with us, but he wants to heal. He wants to see us healthy and thriving. And it hurts his heart too when we're not. And we're going to see that today in Matthew's Gospel. Pastor Ben, I'm glad you're here online. We see you in person. We gather like this, like Christ followers all over the planet on a Sunday, the first day of the week. And why do we do that? Because that was the day Jesus rose from the dead and that tomb was empty and it changed human history forever. And that's why we gather. Let's pause for a word of prayer. And this is going to be a bit of a heavy subject today. But would you just, uh, on the count of three, take a deep breath. Let's do some reset here. One, two, three, deep breath. Let it out and let's pray together. Our Father and our God in heaven, this morning, right now, would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that's ready to listen to what your Holy Spirit is going to speak to each of us right now. Father, we lean in to your heart, which is the heart of a father, Father God, and we lean into what you're going to do because we know that you can do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, and so we call that out boldly today. Would you do that in our midst today? In Jesus' name, amen. So yeah, we're talking about parents and the heart of God. Let's, uh, let's look into Matthew 15. Let's just read it down and then um, and see what God has for us. Starting with verse 21. Let's pick up the text there. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. And he answered, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It's not right to take the children's bread and and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. And Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And and great crowds came to him, bringing with, with them the lame and the blind and the crippled and the mute and many others. And they, they put him at his feet and he, he healed them. So that the crowd wondered. And when they saw the mute speaking and the crippled healthy and the lame walking and the blind, the blind seeing, then they glorified the God of Israel. And Jesus said, to his disciples. He called his disciples and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we going to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And, and Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, He took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples, and his disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. 
is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Some powerful things that we just read right there. Starting with a desperate mom wanting to get help for her, her child. And, and desperate people needing healing and needing a good meal. And we see through all that the heart of God wanting to take care of needs and help a mommy desperate and help crowds and crippled people that couldn't talk and see. We see the heart of God revealed. And it's quite a, a, a shift from the last time we were talking in chapter 15 last week where Jesus was in a pretty heated confrontation with the Jewish leadership over clean and unclean and the proper posture to worship and where, where evil really comes from and really, really a heavy double-down conversation where Jesus really pushes back against the Jewish leadership. And, uh, and his disciples said, you know, that really offended them. And, and so there was some tension. It was heated. So we find Jesus and his disciples uh, here in 21, they withdrew from there probably to lower the temperature maybe just a little bit. It was pretty heated. And so they take off and they, they travel quite a ways to this, uh, the text is Tyre and Sidon. And Tyre and Sidon are on the coast. You can see them up, up in the kind of the middle of the, the map there. Sidon's at the very top, kind of hard to read this. And then uh, Tyre's there. And those would have been outposts, the Roman outposts. There would have been uh, port cities there, uh, kind of outside of the Jewish territory. And it makes good sense that they would kind of leave the Jewish territory for a bit to let things calm down, because that was a pretty, pretty uh, contentious moment we saw in the early part of Matthew 15. So they head out there, and that's where this desperate mom, uh, we, we see that interaction. And, and I, I want to talk about this, that this morning, but I want to skip ahead real quick, and then we'll, we'll, we'll circle back. I'm going to change the, the order here a little bit, but I want to talk about that, uh, that, that bread and fish meal out there in the desolate place, which might sound familiar, this feeding of thousands of people in a desolate place. Have, have we heard that already in Matthew's gospel? Yeah, now some scholars, oh, they think, well, this must be the same, the, the same sort of event. I mean, certainly they, they sound very similar, but there are some marked differences. Did you catch some of the differences between what we did earlier, a couple chapters ago, the feeding of the 5,000? Of course, we know there was a lot more than just 5,000. And then this feeding of the 4,000. There are some differences. Um, who, who's the Bible scholar out there that picked up at least one of the differences? Anybody? The what? The number. The number, yeah. The numbers. <laughs> good. That's good. Different numbers. That's true. Good point. You know, he, sometimes it's easy to miss the obvious. You see what I mean? But there was also another number that was important. How many baskets they picked up afterward. Because the previous feeding, there were like, what, 12? We knew that was significant because the 12 tribes of Israel, right? And there's this prophet guy in the wilderness miraculously providing bread, and that sounds like what? Yeah, Moses in the wilderness. So this is a very Moses-style thing here, Moses-esque, if you will, in both of those feedings of the thousands of people. So Jesus, at that point, is his, remember, they were out in Tyre and Sidon. By the time we get to this part, they're back in the, the region of Galilee, so back in Jewish territory, and, um, and they've been with him for three days. And, and what have they been doing? Did you catch that? He's there 
He, he uh, is healing people, right? Doing a lot of that. And they, they probably had food initially, but now they've been with him three days, which is also different from the previous feeding of the 5,000. That's a different detail. They've been with him already for several days. Lots of healing going on. People are just in wonder, like, wow. And they're glorifying God. Some great things are happening. Everything's firing, but the people are hungry, and Jesus noticed it. Maybe he's hearing a collective gurgling of the stomach. You ever been with somebody and you hear their stomach kind of start making music? And you're like, you need to eat something. Well, Jesus realizes that they need to eat something because he doesn't want to send them away. Here's the heart of God. He want to send them away hungry. Uh, so, like the previous feeding, he's like, okay, disciples, you give them something to eat. You figure it out. And, of course, they kind of come back with the same thing. We're in the middle of nowhere. You know, uh, we have no safe way out here. What are we going to do? And so Jesus says, what do you got? Sometimes God wants to use what we got. And at this point, this is also a different detail, different amount of loaves and fish. See? Different story. Right? Different. different. So how many... How many Lunchables do you have? Thank you, Joe Bullock, again. What's in your Lunchable? And what do they say? Did anybody catch that? How many fish? How many loaves? About seven loaves. That's an interesting number. And a few, a few small fish. We don't find out how many of a few is, but that's at least more than two, right? Is that the rule? few. And so with that Lunchable, then we have this moment where he blesses it, and he gives it to who? To hand to the people. Does Jesus give it directly to the people? He hands it to his disciples who then we're seeing this handoff now of leadership. And this has happened now twice. Two kind of big stories that have some similarities but enough differences of Jesus feeding thousands of people and the disciples kind of taking their role now to hand out the fish and then they have some leftovers and uh, we already said that, right? Seven baskets full of leftovers. That's a significant number. How many days of creation? It's not a trick question. Seven, good. Seven, number of completion for the Hebrew people. A lot of significance to that number, but they pick up seven baskets full. And and then after that, he, uh, he sends away the crowds now that they're full. Sometimes God understands us grumpy people might just need a good meal. And then we're going to be able to move forward. He gives them a good meal, and then he sends them away, again, revealing the heart of God. And, and uh, it said that they ate and were satisfied. Our God is not a God of scarcity. He's a God of abundance. Your stomach is full when you come to God's table. Isn't that cool? Full. Full. Had enough. Some of you don't like fish, but if you're really desperate, you might want to eat fish. They ate fish. They ate bread, and they were satisfied. Our God is a God of abundance. So seven. Let's talk about that, that, that number. And this is what one commentator wrote. He said, you know, in the Bible, the number seven, it signifies perfection. It signifies completeness. Um, like, like the seven days of creation, Genesis chapter 1, already said that, and even in offering forgiveness. There's that moment when his disciples, I think it was Peter, correct me if I'm wrong, but come up to Jesus and they say, okay, Jesus, how, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? You know, he's really annoying me, or whatever it might be. How many times do I have to forgive that driver that just cut me off? Uh, you get the picture, how many times? And Jesus has 
an answer. He said 70 times 7. So he uses that 7 number again, multiples of it, basically to imply, Peter, as much as it takes. That's really what we could read into that. But a number of completion. And so it's significant, but also it's a number of completion. Think about it. If God created the world in seven days, this is a worldwide symbol. That the first feeding was picking up 12 baskets. And so we have this sort of connection with Israel and the 12 tribes. And yes, God was doing something in those 12 tribes. But ultimately, God's bigger plan was worldwide. And we know that's true because we're sitting in this room right now. They took that good news and that bread of heaven all over the globe. And there are Christ followers in every pocket of the planet right now doing something similar to what we're doing right here. They took it to heart and they went global. They went worldwide. So after this, they get into, they get into a boat. The crowds are dismissed, right? And then they head to an area... Uh, called Magadan, which is, they think, scholars think that's what the home of Mary Magdalene. And so they, they hightail it back to uh, down, they, they go down this, the, basically the western side of the Sea of Galilee. It's kind of hard to see, I realize that. But you see Magdala, which has another name for it. It's kind of in parentheses. Not unlike cities around here, we have different nicknames for them. But there, there they are, and they, they head down the, the coastline, the western coastline of the Sea of Galilee, and they end there. And there, spoiler alert, his disciples are going to get confused about how much bread they brought. That's a spoil. It's coming. But can you imagine the frustration <laughs> that's ahead for, that, for all of us? When, when they start to worry they didn't bring enough bread, they're worried about bread, and they just had, within a span of time, two major miracles of Jesus providing a ridiculous amount of bread. You, you already said, I'm just prepping you now that this is coming. And Jesus is going to say, do you not get it? Anyway, well, let's go back to that first story where you have this desperate mom who seeks an audience with Jesus and interrupts him in the middle of wherever they were headed to over there in Tyre and Sidon on the coast now. This is, again, Roman territory, Gentile territory, and this woman was not part of the in crowd. She was not Jewish, and yet, boy, she seems to know a lot about Jesus, which is curious. She must have done her homework, and I realize that sometimes when we read this in English, it seems like he's being rude. Does it, does it seem like he's kind of rude? I mean, talking about dogs and stuff like that, it seems like that seems insensitive at least, right? Um, so they, they seem rude, both, both Jesus, his, his refusal, at, early on at least, to answer her directly, and then his disciples saying, get her away, she's making a lot of noise, she keeps bugging us, send her away, right? That seems a little out of, out of place for our modern sensitivities. It seems like out of character for Jesus. But here's what's difficult. I think what's going on here, it's hard to read just from the text, because what do you get? Well, you get emails, you get text messages, what do you don't know about the face going on when they're texting you? Or, or is there a smile? What's the tone of voice? You don't know. I realize that if you put something in all text or all capitals, people are saying you're yelling. But just realize that's just a small example that we don't always get the emotion or the facial expressions going on with this. So it may seem like it's a little rude, but I think there's a little bit more going on here that we could see into the text. So she is... 
she is, but because by the time she's done with this interaction, Jesus says, oh, you have great faith. Jesus doesn't say that too often to too many people. In fact, he does say it to another person who happens to be a Gentile. And actually, we covered that in chapter 8. Rare that you get from Jesus, you have great faith. And this gal, a desperate mom, pulls out all the stops to get to him. She wasn't part of the cool crowd. She was Gentile. And so she does something which in ancient culture, you don't do. First of all, as a woman, you wouldn't approach a man. That seems you know, sketchy back in their day. Plus, this wasn't just any man. This was a Jewish rabbi. So for her to do that was pretty bold. But she is a desperate mom. And she wants help for her, for her child. She's going she's gonna to do whatever it takes. And she, she knew some things about Jesus. Like, why would she seek him out? Well, she must have done her homework. She knew that there was this rabbi named Jesus out of Nazareth that people keep saying he's healing people. In fact, she might have even heard about some food miracles recently. And so she knows this guy has something going on. There's something unique here. She does her homework, and she even does enough homework that she knows... He, his great, 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 you get this, grandfather is King David. She's done her homework. She's not just passively trying, oh, I need help. She's gone after some help. She's been proactive in seeking out this rabbi, even to the point where she's willing to step over boundaries, ancient boundaries that you should not cross, cultural boundaries, to get his help. She's a desperate mommy, and she needs help. So she gets close to him, and his disciples are not liking this, and she wouldn't take no for an answer. She keeps on. And so then Jesus is sort of a, kind of a recent shift, right, in his teaching style. He uses a parable. Remember, his disciples kind of were confused by this teaching style change not too long ago, where Jesus jumps into parables telling these stories that have some you know, spiritual meaning to them that you have to actually do a little bit of thinking it's not just going to come to the surface. You have to actually invest yourself in the parable teaching to understand what he's saying. He uses a parable with this mom. And in this parable, I'm guessing that, again, we can't see his face. We can't see what's going on, but I'm guessing this whole thing is a lesson for his 12. It's a lesson. It's an object lesson, and he has many things he wants them to see in this. So he tells this parable. Well, this, you know, that... We got, I was sent to the lost house, the sheep of Israel, you know, the, the, the Israelite people, the Jewish people, and, and I can't take, you know, good bread for the children and then give it to the dogs. That doesn't make sense. And she's like, oh, oh wait, wait, wait. But, but even that same bread, it'll crumble to the floor, and so the dogs are getting basically the same bread. And he's like, oh, good, good answer. That's pretty, pretty, pretty good. She's invested in the parable enough where even the disciples aren't even saying a word. She gets the parable. It's, I'm guessing they're doing an eye contact thing, and, he, and they're doing this back and forth play. And he's like, okay, okay, she's, she's come to play. She knows that, you know, and she would know that, uh, you know, again, a Jewish rabbi shouldn't be interacting. Yet here is Jesus again getting close to someone who would have made him unclean, and we find that his cleanliness is actually transferred to her, not the opposite. And so he, he, he plays this word game with her about this parable. And she, she, hey, Lord, even the dogs. And she's so desperate. Look at that verse 25. She's so desperate. She's on her knees and saying, Lord, help me. That may be all that you can muster sometimes. 
when you're in a desperate spot, Lord, it's three words, Lord, help me. Maybe you're there now. Things are not gone the way you want. And you, you find yourself on your knees saying, Lord, help me. That's some deep theology right there. Three words. Lord, help me. And, and, and you know what? He helps her. Say, oh, you have great faith. The last time in Matthew's gospel, Jesus said that to someone was a Roman centurion in chapter 8. Not too far from this. Again, another person who wasn't part of the Jewish nation. In fact, Jesus even says in that interaction with this centurion, this Roman soldier, I haven't seen that kind of faith in all of Israel. That's a statement. And in that story of the centurion, the person is healed remotely. And here's this gal's daughter healed remotely. Jesus doesn't even have to be in the room. Oh, great faith. See, there's something here that I think Jesus wanted to demonstrate for the disciples. Something that I think he's already told us. And he's already told his 12. He did it, did it a few chapters as he rounded out what we know as the famous Sermon on the Mount. And this desperate mom demonstrates three things. First of all, she sought Jesus out. She took the proactive. She sought him out and she did her homework. She is seeking. Hold on. And then she pleaded with him, even getting on her knees and saying, Lord, help me. She's asking. That's two. Does this phrase starting to sound familiar? So she, she sought him out. She's seeking. She's asking. She's pleading with him, Lord, help me. And she's repeating it over and over loudly. You know, when you, when you knock on someone's door, you don't do, do it once. You do it several times, right? you got to get the message through. You see what's happening right here? But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 7, 7 through 8, here, are you ready for this? This should sound familiar. Think about the mom. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Jesus, the rabbi, is showing his 12 with an unlikely uh, person, right? Shouldn't have happened, right, in Jewish culture, but it did. He's showing them the object lesson for what he taught them. Seek, ask, knock. And my question for you is, do you need help from the Lord today? Are you in a place where you need help from the Lord today? Maybe, maybe it's someone you love, a spouse, someone else in your life, a friend, someone at work. You, wanna, you want them to get some help too. You, you, you are in a state where you need help or someone you love needs help how are, how, are, how are your asking, seeking, knocking muscles? Are they in use? Or have you even sought out the Lord? Have you even asked Him? And how persistent have you been knocking? This is an object lesson for those 12. Maybe you're in a desperate place and all you can muster is, Lord, help me. 
Three words. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Do you see the three? Asking, seeking, knocking. Where are you at? If you need something from the Lord, those are the pathways for which we, we open a door for God to do amazing things. And maybe someday, I hope for all of us, Jesus will say, hey, great faith. Great faith. In, uh, as the early church expanded and it, the Apostle Paul and, Peter and others are planting churches all over the Roman Empire, uh, there's a church that happens to be in Philippi, ancient Rome, and it was actually an outpost. It was, a, they think, a town for retired military, uh, retired soldiers from the Roman army, and they planted a church there, and Paul wrote to them, and he said this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Seems like a contradiction, but I think there's a partnership. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Sounds like it's all on us, for it is God who works, right? In you, both to will and to act for his good pleasure. There's a role we play. See, salvation is always God's gift. That's, that's a given. It's always the gift of God. That's the one who does the saving. But we get to be on a partnership with God, that we get to do our part and he does his part. That's why they call it a partnership. We do the work and he does the work. We're proactive and we're praying with persistence. We're proactive. We do our part. We seek, right? We knock, we ask, and then God comes in and does something powerful, a miracle. What do you need in your life? What do you need God to do? Are you willing to ask and seek and knock and partner with him to do your part so that he would do his part? And it's not just once. Knocking is every day. It's persistence. Someone had once said, persistence paves the way for the power of God. Persistence paves the way for the power of God. Are you asking, seeking, knocking? What do you need from the Lord right now? Do your part and God does his part. It's a partnership. Just like that desperate mom, Jesus entered into a, a bit of a partnership with her in that conversation to teach his 12 the thing he had already told them. Ask, seek, knock, and all these things will be handed to you. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you need from the Lord. But ask, seek, knock. Imagine a people like us who are dedicated to that partnership where we do our part and he does his part. We play our role and he does his thing. And in that, he will do immeasurably more than any of us could ask or imagine according to your power. In fact, we're even told God can do the impossible with a people like that. Ask, seek, knock. And in that frame of mind, let's, let's pray together. Father, we come before you. We thank you for the ability to come before you, to, to ask and seek and knock. And we can approach your throne by faith through your son, Jesus. And we, we can ask for things that we need, but you already know what they are. And you love us with a father's heart, just like that mother that we read about. Do whatever it takes, Father. We pray that you would do a miracle in, in us, in us as, as, as individuals and as a church family, that we would be your hands and feet in the world. And that, Father, we would, we would ask and seek and knock and then leave it to you. Do our part and you do your part. And, Father, do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine according to your power. In Jesus' name, amen.